The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. Thanks for tuning in again this week. Great to have you with us. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you from Dallas, Texas, which is my home base. I hate to tell you this, but it's a beautiful, sunshiny day down here, so about 70-some degrees for those of you up there in the northern climate. Sorry about that. Come visit. <laughs> I'll get to my guest in just a moment, but first, let me thank my media partner and sponsor, Jobbing.com. If you're not familiar with them, Jobbing.com is the leading locally-focused job board in the nation. They are dedicated to helping employers find quality talent in their own backyard and giving job seekers control over their search so they can find work close to home. Great partnership. I appreciate that we're both trying to help people find the work they want. For this week's conversation, with me is a longtime friend I've recently reconnected with, thanks to LinkedIn. Bob Jones and I met some 18 years ago when we both lived in Seattle. And one of the things that I continue to find most intriguing about Bob, and I think you will too, is his intense desire to develop not just the left brain thinking associated with his 50 years in computer programming, but over the last 25 years, the right brain, his heart. In this conversation, we'll hear a bit about why he chose the software programming field in the first place and why he still enjoys it, and then learn about his journey to more deeply participate in his own life and bring all of himself to the game, as he likes to say. And we'll talk about the work, the work he's doing in a transformational coaching capacity to help men navigate the same journey he's been on. Bob, great to have you with me on the show, this time on the air after all these years. Thank you, Elise. I appreciate being here. Isn't this going to be fun? I, um, I really do have so many fond memories still from all those years ago of working together, and it's great to be able to have you here and talk about all the great things you've been up to since we've last seen each other. So got a lot of questions for you, and I want to get as much out of, out of you as I can while, while we have time together. So first things first, um, we'll be talking about your life's journey on this show, but first, just if you can... You and I met 18 years ago when I was an account manager selling information technology staffing services, and you were my customer. You had co-founded a, a company called Itellos. Um, I can't believe how time flies. Um, so if we can, first talk a little bit. So 50 years in computer programming, that's one of the things I wanted to call it in the show, that you have spent half a century doing something that you actually still enjoy. Can we first talk about how did you get in, started in the field? Why did you choose computer programming in the first place? Why technology? Well, I was living in White Plains at the time, uh, trying to put some space between me and my father, who was a brilliant man, but uh, like many parents, uh, very troubled. Um, and uh, so I needed to get I needed to get out from underneath his thumb. So I went to an employment agency there, and they had a job as a bank teller and another job as a computer operator. 
I thought about that for a, all of about 10 seconds. I said, you know, I don't trust myself with the money. If I take the bank teller job, it's going to lead to an unfortunate future. So I took the computer operator job, um, even though the bank teller job paid 85 a week and the operator only 75 a week. Um, on my second day on the job, uh, my boss, a guy by the name of Jack Ingram, who's a wonderful man, one of the finest managers I've ever, ever worked with, he slapped down a couple of COBOL mangles and said, here, as soon as you write your first program, you get a $10 a week raise. Well, I had nothing better to do than, you know, study COBOL manuals in the evening. And so uh, two weeks later, I got the raise. And about 14 months later, uh, Jack told me it was time for me to move on. Uh, he had seen me grow rapidly enough that he realized that I was going to get unhappy if, because there was only a limited uh, set of opportunities available to me at that company. So he encouraged me to find another home, but he said, take as long as you want, but uh, it's time for you to grow. And uh, during that point in time, um, at one point, we were doing a switchover from a Univac system to a Honeywell system. And they were doing invoicing, and they uh, used to do it with cards, and then now they were using tapes, and uh, they made a mistake in the invoicing system, and they wanted me to write a program to fix the mistake. So I did. I just sat down at the key punch and slammed it out. And, and uh, 10 years later, I had the wonderful opportunity. Uh, I was traveling back east with my wife, and it just happened on the 10-year anniversary of my start date that I was able to hook up with Jack and a couple of the folks who still, who I worked with 10 years ago. And it turns out they were still using that program wow. that I had written, uh, that it was now the core of their billing system. So um, it just shows you that sometimes you just have no idea how something you produce is actually going to be used. Mm. That's how I got started. I have to say two things to what you said there, Bob. First, I think it's wonderful that you were thrown out for growth opportunities. That happened to me when I was 19, but it wasn't quite presented to me just like that. That sounds actually very <laughs> polished. Uh, the, the, the second thing is that I think it's amazing and wonderful that you just somehow like got this stuff. I mean, so do you think that there's just a, a natural attraction here to programming or did you just somehow, did they get you at the right time in your life for it to, for it to sit well and take, if you will? I think it was more the latter. Um, I think it just, uh, it just as it happened, that uh, uh, at that point in time in my life, I was alone trying to reestablish myself, and um, I got fascinated by the, uh, the, the notion of programming. It presented an interesting uh, opportunity to be creative, and, and, uh, and, and yeah, that's just it. it just, I think it was just the right time. Well, here's what's also amazing, the fact that you've been doing this for 50 years and you still love programming. That's kind of astounding. I don't usually hear that too terribly often, that somebody's still loving something for that long of a period. To what do you attribute that? Well, it's fun. Um, I, I've often been asked by uh, 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 young people starting off in the world, how do you know if you're going to be a programmer? And I say it's a simple test. Um, sit down and write, write for, for 12, 14, 16 hours and see how you feel. At the end of that time, are you drained of energy and you just want nothing to do with a computer, or can you not wait to continue? Um, your body will tell you the answer to that. Um, and in my case, uh, uh, I, I find myself sometimes working eight hours, 10 hours uh, uh, on a contract job, 
then turning around and spending another three or four hours um, working for fun uh, on these little Arduino microprocessors that I have come to just uh, be fascinated with. Um, and it gives me a chance to make the beast dance. Um, that if, if I can instruct the computer to do something, and if I don't get it exactly right, it doesn't judge me. It just tells me, you made a mistake. And it will tell me in rather blatant and but sometimes rather unobvious ways. So the challenge is for me to um, examine what it is that I did and make it better, make it, make it work right. Um, and in the case of these little Arduino things, I can actually make a, a little robot run around on the floor now and entertain my kids and my grandchildren, and, uh, um, and it's fun. But there is a darker side to that, too, um, and that is that um, I don't know how many of your listeners will be familiar with the Enneagram, but it's a, um, like Myers-Briggs. It's a way of um, uh, classifying people, putting them in boxes, sort of, but it's, it's a pretty rich model. And they talk about nine points, nine different coping strategies, I tend to think of it as. And my strategy is in strategy seven, which I think they call it a dilettante or something like that. But it basically is the, the, the style of getting busy with all kinds of projects and staying busy and staying busy and staying busy. And I realized relatively recently that that's a way of my avoiding and distracting myself from the inner turmoil I feel as I, you know, I'm almost 70, and as I start dealing with those those parts of my life that I'm going to have to start letting go of, like programming. Oh, you know, a couple, a few more things on that. First, of course, I always love your colorful language, Bob. I never tired of the uh, tire of the way you talk. It's just wonderful. Um, Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Secondly, I'm quite familiar with the Enneagram. I know it, and I use it as well with my coaching clients. And I know the seven. That's interesting. And I like the fact that you called it. I think you said a coping um, mechanism. Coping strategy, yeah. I think that's really, really an interesting way to describe that assessment. I think that's really interesting. So, no surprise, given where I know you're gravitating these two these days, which we'll get to here in just a second. Um, very, very interesting stuff. Love it. Love this. I knew this conversation would be yummy, just like all the other ones were so many years ago. <laughs> right? Um, well, and one of the things I know you're working on today, which I found quite intriguing, is WordPress, which, of course, I recognize as the software powering my website. Why this software? How'd you get into that? Well, um, I got laid off about three years ago um, uh, in a, uh, from a, a very strange job, um, and uh, I showed up on a Monday morning, and the boss, who I had seen like once a year, was sitting in my office, and my computer was gone. And I know what that pattern means. It means, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it means get the computer out of his hand so he can't do any damage. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, instead of feeling like my stomach was headed for China, I felt this sense of relief. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I had a chance to reinvent myself again. And... Um, I've found that every time I've um, come to a crossroads in work um, and take the attitude of reinventing myself, the universe just delivers these wonderful opportunities. So I got curious about WordPress because uh, an organization that I'm involved with, the Mankind Project, which I assume we'll talk about in a little bit, um, uh, they had a website uh, for the Northwest area that was a WordPress site. And uh, so I started uh, trying to make that site a little bit better and trying to learn uh, how, how this stuff works. And it was, um, at some point, it was just a, you know, 
I, I love learning new stuff, so let's go learn something new and maybe even useful. And that was, that was about it. Mm. You know, I, again, your language, there's a reason that you and I have gravitated together over all these years, Bob. I know you know that. But when you talk about things like reinventing yourself, um, what, what that springs to life for me, of course, is, is identity, which I care deeply about because it's so important and drives behaviors, decisions, et cetera. And, of course, you know, it, it'll come into our conversation here probably after our first break. Um, but, you know, this is the kind of stuff that I, I look for on these, on these radio show interviews. So you're, you're doing beautifully. Thank you, Bob. <laughs> Thank you. Um, one, of the, one of the things that I, I find interesting about your, your background, when I think about how you have navigated your life, and I know over the last couple of decades of your programming career, you began wondering about what kind of work you were doing and how it actually impacted the planet, which I think is amazing. And so I want to, if you would share with us, what has been going on there in that mind of yours in this regard? Well, that's a really interesting question. Thank you for asking it. Um, in about 1990, I was still working in the Silicon Valley, and I got a call from Microsoft, and they basically flew me up and offered me a very, very uh, lucrative, wonderful job in their consulting organization. But there was a catch. Um, the, uh, my, my immediate boss was a fellow who, if you had called up Central Casting and said, send me over a dweeb, he would be first in line. <laughs> And he, he basically um, had absolutely no interpersonal skills whatsoever. And, but he did recognize that the team he was putting together was rather dysfunctional. So he called up a, a, a team builder, a guy by the name of Tommy Barton, and uh, uh, took us off to a hotel. And Tommy was tasked with teaching us a, uh, a week-long course in two days because, of course, we're Microsoft and we can learn this stuff faster. At least that was the belief. But uh, during the teaching, um, uh, Tommy used some of Will Shute's human element work, his inclusion, control, openness, uh, and team stuff. And um, I got fascinated by it. And the strangest thing started happening. It was as if I had been seeing all of my life in black and white, and somebody was starting to turn on color. And... Uh, and it was just this rich, wow, this whole new world for me to explore. And the weekend was over, and the colors started to fade, and I got pissed. I got really <laughs> angry at, you know, the, the colors going away. So I asked Tommy, look, what do I do now? And he said, well, Jones, um, take a look at your codependency. Uh, okay, codependency, what's that? He said, you go figure that out. So my wife and I went to a uh, codependence workshop at a church in Bellevue, and I remember vividly on the drive home from that from that workshop, um, we were driving down um, uh, Red Road in, in uh, between Bellevue and Redmond, and I said to my wife, "I am going to change, and it's going to change our relationship." Now she got a little bit scared by that. What does that mean? But I said, you're, you're going to have to make your own choices. I don't get to make those choices for you. But here's the choice I'm going to make for me. And um, so I worked very hard. I chased Tommy Barton all over the country trying to, you know, going to trainings of his, sitting in, trying to become a, a member of that team so I could learn how to do this stuff. And in about the mid-'90s, um, there was a convention in San Francisco of all of the trainers of the Will Shoots material. So I flew down from Seattle and 
and had dinner with Tommy. And afterwards, after dinner, I said, so, Tommy, am I ready to join the team? And he said, looked at me and said, Jones, I don't know anybody who's worked harder on this stuff than you do or you have and still doesn't get it. <laughs> and my stomach just like, oh, my God, that was just horrible. But he was right. I concluded from that that I was a relatively slow learner of some of this stuff. Um, but um, ultimately, uh, and since, since that time and, and all the work I've put in on learning it, learning it, I've learned essentially that what he was seeing was that my ego was running the show there. And I've learned since that if I'm doing something, if I'm doing interpersonal work well, it's not coming from me, it's coming through me. Mm. And to be able to clear the channels so that whatever it is that I'm seeing or working with somebody, um, uh, I, I just get curious about. And at that point, um, the, whole, the whole thing is very, very different. And I'm in a different space. I, and if you ask me five minutes later what I said, I would have no idea. Because I'm so in the moment with what it is that I'm seeing. So that's, how I, that's about how I got started. Okay, perfect, perfect segue to our first break already, Bob. If you can believe it, we've already blown past our first break. Oh, my goodness. Um, Beautiful, beautiful rendition. Love that. We're we're probably going to come back to a little bit more of that after the break, but it is time for our first break. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Bob Jones, who we like to call affectionately Man on a Mission, who has been steadily transitioning from his half-century career as a software programmer to what I might call a life transformation coach, helping men to more deeply participate in their own lives on all levels. We've been talking a bit about his early life, and after the, after the break, we'll talk more about some of his current work and what he's up to these days. Stay with us. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. It's time to do all of those things that you always said you'd do in your life. What's stopping you? Is it other people, your environment, fear? What could give you a push? Tune in to Raising the Bar with Amy Bredo. Our show is all about taking risks and turning them into positives and personal gain. We'll help your inner voice speak up and get you out of that comfort zone. Raising the Bar can be heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1 888 346 9141. Again, that's 1 888 346 9141. 
You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Bob Jones of RHJ4 Consulting, who has, been, who has spent the last 50 years of his life working as a software programmer, and for the last decade or more has been transitioning to a man on a mission, as I like to call him. He's deeply plumbing life for depth and connection and coaches other men to do the same. He joins us today from Bellingham, Washington. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So, Bob, the next thing I want to talk with you about, I loved where, where you took us just before the break with regard to your awakening and the colors and getting ticked off about that. And it's such a marvelous way to talk about that, that awakening, if you will. And maybe the next thing to talk about is that I've heard you say over and over again over the years is that you've got quite an intrigue with integrating your left and right um, parts of your brain, if you will, the head and the heart, as you like to call it. Um, where did this interest come from? Well, um, I remember uh, a Charlton Heston movie where he uh, wanted to row on both sides of the boat, um, and he was a slave <laughs> in that movie. And I, I don't remember much of the details, and um, but I remember that that image stuck with me. And uh, at some point um, uh, in the 90s, uh, I, 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 I saw a, a counselor, a therapist, a guy by the name of Garth Alley, and Garth, um, uh, after working with him for a couple of years, I said, you know, Garth, I'm seeing a pattern here in what you're doing. He said, yeah, it's called Gestalt. Gestalt. You want to learn it? We're doing a training class on it. So I took the training, and in that class, I kept on getting feedback from, uh, from people sitting in, 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 in group circle. Jones, I'm hearing you from your head. I'm not hearing your body. I'm not hearing your heart. And it took me hearing that over and over again. Uh, before I could actually tell the difference of when I'm coming from my head and when I'm coming from my heart. And that just really stuck with me. That, um, so I started exploring the heart side of things. And um, I guess that sort of takes me to um, uh, the point in, in about 2001, which was a really, really bad year. Uh, it was... Uh, um, you know, not just the World Trade Center, but there was an earthquake in, in Seattle. I remember uh, the I was IT there, industry yes. Had a, yeah, and the IT industry had, had an implosion. And um, I remember I went back and looked at my, my very first journal. I started journaling on May 10th, 2001, looking inward, what I want to do, what I don't want to do. And I wrote down, I want to be a coach. And um, so a part of me said, I want to abandon programming, live entirely in my heart. And so I wanted to swing entirely the other direction. And I took a very extensive coach training and moved to Bellingham in the middle of it. And shortly after I got to Bellingham, a friend of mine said, Jones, what do you do nights and weekends for free? And the answer was programming. <laughs> and I realized that, you know, that I, I can't abandon that. I have too much affinity for it, too much love of it. So I found myself um, seeking for ways to um, bring my heart into the work. And um, so basically uh, uh, I started, I kept on programming, but I also um, started looking more deeply into what it was, how I can show up on both sides of the brain. What can I bring? How can I bring all of me to the ball game? My head has, it's a powerful tool. My heart is a powerful tool. Both tools need to be used appropriately, not abandoned. 
Well, and maybe this is a perfect time to ask this question. One of the things that I saw on your website that I thought was really intriguing for the for our listeners who are wondering, what the heck are you two talking about? Left brain, right brain, what the heck is that? <laughs> um, I I, uh, I noticed that you very handily list on your on your website what I would call, I think these must be attributes for you, but you, on the left, you have listed analyzing, designing, programming, debugging, testing, and documenting. And on the right, you list authenticity, honesty, openness, responsibility, accountability, and integrity. Now, mind you, you have verbs on the left, and I guess those would be um, nouns on the right, for starters. Whoops. But h- how I'm did busted. you come up with <laughs> Yeah, how did you come up with those two distinct lists? What do they mean to you? Well, analyzing, programming, uh, designing, those are the those are the elements of programming. Uh, right, I recognize that. Those are the things we things I have to do the things I'm, I'm good at in the, in the programming world. And the stuff on the right is the things, are the attributes, the characteristics that I am deeply trying to develop. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, when I talk about authentic, authentic, authenticity, it's, uh, it's that old WYSIWYG for it. What you see is what you get. That uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to try to present myself as differently than I am. Um, and that uh, it just makes life so much simpler when I can be that way. I, you know, I, one of the things I realized long a while ago was that I have this need to be, I'm a pleaser. I have this need to be liked. So what was happening was I would try to manipulate people into liking me. When I look at that strategy, it turns out it's really not a very good strategy because at some level people get that I'm manipulating them. And the likely outcome is that they're not going to like me. So what I realized is just let people make up their own minds about what it is they see and stop trying to present myself in a way that will make them happy. Just be who I am. And that's what the right-hand list is trying to be. Mm, I love that explanation. No surprise that it'd be crisp and interesting. You know, one of my favorite words is authenticity. And I certainly, in all the work that I do around leadership development and such, I really do work hard on conveying the importance of developing an authentic style and approach because it's appealing. It works. People like it. They trust that, right? And so to me, you have always been authentic. I've always found you to be an authentic human being. So I don't know how long you've been working at that, but I I got it when we met 18 years ago. Well, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Well, it might be interesting to our listeners to have you talk a little bit, Bob, about what you've been doing specifically. You've been talking about some of the things you you, you ran after Tommy Barton and Will Schultz, excuse me, um, to try to learn from them. But I would be curious to know, and I bet our listeners would too, what specific things that you've been doing trying to incorporate both your head and your heart? Well, that's a fun question. Um, <clears throat> this fellow Garth Alley that I told you about had a line that he used, he developed after a while. and This was after he and I had been uh, working together for a while. He went off and did a training uh, from the Mankind Project called the New Warrior Training Adventure. And he loved that so much that he wound up telling men that he counseled, you know, you could spend six months with me or you could take this weekend, you'll wind up in the same place. And he told me that after he had done the training. But, you know, being the slow learner that I occasionally am, I said, you know, I'll think about that. A year and a half later, I was in Bellingham, and I realized that the time was right for me to do that training. And um, so I, um, I got him a car, drove down 
carpooled with a bunch of other folks. I guess I hadn't quite moved to Bellingham at that point. I was uh, moving the following month. But we got there, and, uh, you know, basically we all assembled in a space and were silently waiting for things to start. And then they asked us to put blindfolds on, and they led us into a room, and there was just loud drumming and pounding and just this tremendous, vibrant energy. And my body felt like I was home, mm. something I had been missing all my life. And so I, I found myself in a circle of men that were loving and powerful and authentic and honest and real, and I wanted it. I wanted more of it. So I kind of got hooked, um, and I went back and, and uh, staffed weekends, which on a typical weekend we might have 32 men going through as initiates, but we'll have a staff of maybe 40 or 45. And the staff men all pay for the opportunity to staff. And wow. we are turning men away from being, it's that, it's that powerful. Um, and so after the weekend, which I, you know, being a child of the 60s, I kind of liken uh, a powerful weekend like that to, a, uh, you know, strangely enough, an acid trip, uh, which I have some familiarity with. And, <laughs> and uh, but the problem is that after, after, it, after the weekend, the, the effect wears off. So what can you do? Same thing, the colors started to fade. So what can you do? And the next answer was you take the primary integration training, which was how do you actually integrate all this work? And I did that, and I said, this is just, this is really what I want to do. And so I did it again and again and again. I actually wound up uh, doing that cycle so many times that eventually I got to be um, uh, hot-seated and, and, and certified as a leader of it. And strangely enough, coincidentally enough, I'm leading one of those trainings, about my 23rd training of that. I lead it tomorrow um, and have about uh, a dozen men who are going to uh, uh, have just completed the New Warrior Training Adventure. And my job is to help them now anchor this and develop the tools, the skills, and the self-awareness to continuously deepen connection in their life. Because um, I think ultimately the work that we do in the Mankind Project is fundamentally about connection, uh, connection with myself, uh, connection with my friends, my, my, my family, my, uh, the people in my life, connection with my community, even connection with my higher power, and how, what, however men or people define that. So um, that's I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm kind of rambling here, but that's um, that's the that's the passion part of it for me. And boy, does it come across, Bob! It's it's just beautiful. Uh, and you. I want to make sure and clarify for our listeners. So so you, so you, were you talking about the Mankind Project and the New Warrior Training Adventure is part of that? Is that right, or do I have that wrong? Yeah, that that has become the central focus, uh, literally the central focus of my life now. I actually am a contractor, uh, but strangely enough, doing programming for the Mankind Project, but I also lead primary integration trainings. I staff weekends. Um, I'm helping develop new material for them. Um, and I, it's, you know, I guess it, the analogy I like to use is that I think that when people go to church, they're, they're trying to meet three, three needs. I think of them as the three S's. First, there's the obvious one, a spiritual need when you go to church. 
That's what church is supposedly about. But also there is a social atmosphere. You build a community uh, when you go to church. And finally, there's, there's a service aspect to it of um, serving, serving your community somehow. And I find all three in the Mankind Project. Um, uh, I find it to be a very spiritual experience for me. And uh, I, I just, I've, I've got hundreds of friends now all over the country that I'm in regular communication with. And, uh, and there's a, a deep service aspect to it, too. Mm. So. I'm so glad you found that because I do know enough about you that you have been gravitating that direction for quite some time. So um, I don't know. I've never heard of the Mankind Project before until you, you told me about it. So when did it come into existence? Um, about 30 years ago. And it was uh, um, three, three men, um, a Gestalt therapist, a... Uh, 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 I, I forget exactly what the, what the titles were, but basically it started up in Wisconsin. And, um, and they basically were reacting to the reality at the time that uh, the women's movement was now um, starting to empower uh, women but confuse men. Mm-hmm. And so how do men respond and, and in a way that is healthy and authentic and real. And, um, I, mean, uh, I mean, I've been married now for almost 41 years. And uh, what does my wife want from her husband? Well, she wants those things that were on the right-hand column uh, that you listed, the authenticity, the integrity. She doesn't really care about the programming side of things. That right. makes her eyes roll out of her head. Uh, so, uh, and it's that list on the right-hand side that um, is, the, uh, these are the attributes we focus on within the Mankind Project. Mm. That's very interesting, Bob. Um, I, I hadn't thought about, of course, I know well about the women's movement, but the idea of what you just articulated of how do men to re- respond to that is very interesting, and that the Mankind Project would come as a response to that, I think is fascinating. Well, it's it's not questions of uh, well, do I hold the door open for for a woman? Um, yeah, of course, I do. Uh, I hold the door open for anybody, um, men or women. Um, but it's um, uh, how am I really in relationship with? And again, come back to this word connection. Um, how do I connect authentically and deeply with the people in my life? And that's then the cardinal work for me is to learn to connect with myself, with others, and with my higher power. Mm. You know, one of my one of the people that I've known for a long, long time, she's a friend of mine, and she's a psychotherapist. She says that everything in life is all about connection, and we see neuroses and psychoses and problems when people don't have connection, and we see health when they do. I absolutely agree. I suspect that if you look at uh, deeply into the background of the troubled young men who show up as uh, shooters in schools, uh, I would I bet that the common problem, the common connection you're going to find is that they felt that they they felt disconnected. That is that is what That's, she says. That is what she tends to say too. Is that the people that have troubles are the ones that are just not connecting. They want it or don't recognize they want it and can't find it, and that's that's it. So I think it's quite fascinating what you've come across here, Bob. No surprise. <laughs> Thanks, Elise. 
Well, it's time for our, our second and final break here. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Bob Jones, who we like to affectionately call Man on a Mission, who has been steadily transitioning from his half-century career as a software programmer to what I might call a life transformation coach, helping men to more deeply participate in their own lives on all levels and connect. After the break, we'll hear more about some of the work he's doing with men on that level. Stay with us. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Do you feel alone trying to conquer life's challenges? Do you feel that there's sometimes nowhere to turn and nobody really understands? Remember, you are not alone. Every week, host April Joy Ford, who has faced adversity as a constant in her life, helps you rise above life's challenges with your own blueprint meant to discover the powerful you. April's challenges have included childhood sexual abuse, becoming a widow and single parent at 32, and other such curveballs. She'll help you get empowered holistically every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. If you're just joining us, my guest is Bob Jones of RHJ4 Consulting, who has spent 50 years working in software programming and for the last decade or more has been transitioning to what we call man on a mission as he deeply plums life for depth and connection and coaches other men to do the same. He joins us today from Bellingham, Washington. We've been talking a bit about his long journey of what I might call awakening and learning and yearning, all those wonderful things. Next, I want to hear a bit about kind of where you are currently. And one of my favorite questions to ask to get that started is, um, what do you want to be when you grow up, Bob? <laughs> I, I, I got such a chuckle when I, when I heard that question. Um, I'll be 70 in July. And um, we have this culture that says you've got to keep on raising the bar, and there comes a point in life when you have to start lowering it. And I'm definitely in this stage of starting to lower the bar. Um, 
But I still remember a, a story that my father told me. It was an old biblical story, and I don't remember all the details of it, but it was about the ten talents. And a talent was a, a, a unit of money. And a father gave each of his three sons ten talents. And the first one buried them, the second one out and partied, and the third one invested them, and which one used it more wisely. So the message that I, I took from that was that it's important to take what I have and grow it. Um, so that, I mean, ultimately what I'm trying to be is a good man, a good husband, a good father, a good grandfather, good friend. And I, I, this morning I just finished reading Doris Kern Goodwin's uh, Team of Rivals. And what Lincoln wrote when he was 23 was he wants to be esteemed by his, by his uh, fellow countrymen and to have earned that esteem. Mm. So um, uh, that's, that's pretty much what drives me. So crisp and wonderful, Bob. What, a, what an incredible interview this is. I'm really enjoying this. I'm sure our listeners are as well. Thank you. Um, yeah, you're welcome. This is good stuff. Um, well, I definitely want to spend the last part of the show here really getting into the work that you've been doing, helping men to facilitate going into these deeper levels into their lives. And so I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about this work that you're doing. What does it involve, and how do you generally go about working with men on this level? Thank you. That's a great question. Um, first, uh, men, our culture has programmed men to be disconnected. We have this message that if I am vulnerable, you will think I am weak and attacked. Yeah. And yeah. in certain circumstances, that may be true. But if I want to have connection with you, it's exactly the worst advice I could be given. Brene Brown on TED has some wonderful talks about this that I've watched many, many times. So... Um, I realize that I have to be vulnerable and I have to show men and, and lead men into a space of being vulnerable. So that starts with getting permission so that we can create a safe enough environment, a psychically safe enough environment for them to be willing to step through the resistance to being vulnerable. And then I ask them tough questions. I ask very direct questions. Um, and I listen deeply uh, as I, I've trained myself uh, to uh, listen for half an hour, an hour if it takes, and say nothing, but just to um, have, you know, whenever a thought comes up in my mind, just park it, just stay focused on what it is I'm experiencing from this man, and to be curious, but to hold my curiosity very lightly, because I may have a, an accurate hit, may not, don't know. So um, uh, underneath this, the, the, the core thing is that what drives most of the dysfunction in otherwise healthy people is beliefs that we took on early in our life, typically pre-10, that were beliefs that were necessary for us to survive then, but don't necessarily work now. And um, an example would be a fellow I worked with who was a, oh, about six foot four, big, gorgeous fellow who couldn't talk above a whisper. So I asked him to feel that sense of restriction where in your body. We chased it back to a time when he was three years old, sitting in a church with his mother and listening to the sermon, and the, the kid was doing what three-year-old kids are going to do. He was squirming and asking questions and speaking, and his mother was constantly saying, shh, shh, be quiet, shh. And so he took on the message that in order to have mom's love, i got to be quiet. And when we looked at that message and asked and, and said, you don't need to be quiet now. Are you willing to try to give me a roar? Give me a giant roar. And that was all it took. It, it, he broke through it. 
And sometimes it's that simple, but other times it's much more complex. And so it's just um, um, at the heart of it is we have this notion, um, there's this notion called the drama triangle, uh, Cartman drama triangle, that it, we wind up finding ourselves victimized somehow by life, and somebody has to be the persecutor who victimized us, and then what we're waiting for is the the rescuer to come along and make life good. And um, frankly, I just teach men, call BS on that one. Um, if you want to play that game and stay stuck, go go ahead. If you want out of that game, you've got to take responsibility for the moment. Instead of blaming the persecutor or hanging out in this victim space, take responsibility, step, up, step into your life, and learn to set powerful boundaries. Learn to um, set clean, authentic boundaries, because most of us, the, the, the essence of codependence is not knowing how to set boundaries uh, in my life. I was never taught as a kid to set boundaries. So um, that's, that's at the heart of it. It's just basically giving men tough love, tough questions, and to hold them deeply, uh, know that I don't judge them, I just challenge them. Mm. That sounds incredible, and what an amazing gift. And I'm certainly sure that you encounter resistance as people fight through that process because it's unknown, it's scary, and it's not what they know. Um, but it sounds like amazing work, Bob. It's very rewarding. Uh, it, it, it feeds my heart, feeds my soul. The interesting challenge is can I find a way of having it feed my wallet as well? <laughs> so. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I understand. That's, uh, and, uh, and it, one of the things we talk a lot about on the show is how do we actually transform our passion into profit? In fact, curiously, get this. I found a woman in Nigeria whose business is named passion, or excuse me, Profit to Passion. And that's exactly what she does. Is she helps people take their dreams and turn them into money. Isn't that cool? That's a great man. Maybe maybe I need to go to Nigeria and check her out. <laughs> I can't wait to have her on the show. She's going to be amazing. Um, oh, that's great. Well, t- to make it now, you've talked about the process. You told us a little bit about kind of some of the things that you do with men when you're working with them. Can you give us maybe an example or two of how you've helped men achieve results or how they've changed? Well, that the the, the the most figural example for me is the uh, the one about the, the man who um, was a, was a whisperer because that's that's a um, uh, that's that's it's so it was so profound transformation. But just the other night, um, uh, I was working with a fellow who said, "I want to connect more deeply with people. I, I I don't know how to connect," and he he had this profound memory of being a baby in the, in the hospital and. Um, uh, crying for help and there was uh, a nurse there who was ignoring him and he realized that uh, that that he was entirely on his own and so he, somehow he just uh, lost his ability to connect with other people or just didn't develop that and as we as we talked about it and I challenged him he finally had this look on his face he said you know I'm just whining that's what's going on here. I'm whining. I'm I'm staying stuck in victim space because it's easy. It's convenient. And the once he realized that, it's it's just uh, understanding that that most of what messes us up is miswired beliefs, beliefs that were useful 
then but are no longer useful now. And we have to consciously and intentionally rewire them, let them go. So um, uh, that's, that's, that's at the heart of it. Um, and I've seen that happen so many times when I'm working with a man um, and he's got a charge about something. I'm, I'm visualizing a couple of guys that I've worked with just recently that um, they're up in their heads, they're talking about this, talking about this. I say, let's go into your body. Where do you feel it in your body? And um, so they put, I said, put your hand on it. Now, when's the earliest time in your life you can remember that feeling that you're feeling right now? And one guy said, well, I think about 14. I said, mm, go, go deeper. Go back further. And, oh, wow, three. And he started talking about what happened when he was three years old. And once he could see that the choice he made as a three-year-old um, worked then, and it was necessary for his survival then. It was necessary to get his parents' love or to feel safe. Um, but once he realized that that's the choice that he made then and that he's free to make a different choice now, that freedom it empowers men to say, and I choose to make a different choice, and I'm going to take responsibility for making that real. And that's, that's at the heart of it. Mm, how beautiful. What a beautiful rendition, Bob. It's just, it is amazingly powerful work. What a, what, a, what a huge difference you're making in people's lives, Bob. Not just the men you're working with, but anyone he comes into contact with. I, I remember a situation. I was sitting uh, uh, in uh, uh, after a yoga class, just in satsang, just talking with uh, some of the other students, and a lady said to me, um, uh, "Can we all say a prayer for the people in Palestine and Israel who are getting rockets thrown at them?" And her parents were in Israel at the time, and I thought about that, and I was resistant to that. And what, what's what's that about? And I finally, I, afterwards, I was able to pin pin what it was was going on, and I said to her, "You know." I have no power to um, transform a battle that's been waging for a thousand years. But what I can do is work on me. I can work on who I am and how I show up in this moment and how I show up with you in this moment. And if I do that work and you do that work and enough of us do that work, then the ripple effect will be that peace will start to emerge in, in places where we haven't, we, we're, we're seeing chaos right now. So my job is simply to work on me I, and help you work on you if that's what you want to do. And if not, you know, well, there's enough people I can, I can, I can work with that uh, do want to do that. Uh, so um, just focus on the job at hand. That's, that's the heart of it for me. I don't know if that's related to the, your mission or not, but one of the things I definitely wanted to extract from you before we, we finish, and we've only got about probably three and a half minutes or so left on the show, let's go ahead and let you ask, answer that question. Is that the mission for you, or is it something else? My mission, uh, when, we, when we do the Mankind Project Weekend, uh, the part of it is to develop a mission of service and to recognize initially that that mission is going to come out of a childhood wound, but that over time it's my job is to grow and transform that mission. When I did my work initially, my mission was to heal the planet by healing myself. And over time it has evolved to my current mission, which is to deepen authentic connection in my world by teaching conscious, courageous, and compassionate transformation. And each word in that, that mission has meaning to me. Conscious is the work of the, the archetype of the king. Courageous is the archetype of the warrior. 
Compassion is the archetype of the lover, and transformation is the archetype of the magician. And there's a wonderful book by Morin Gillette that talks about these four archetypes, which we work with a lot in the mankind work. So um, uh, my mission is what serves as a touchstone for me. It's um, I can ask myself, am I living my mission in this moment? And if not, well, what's getting in the way? So let's go take a look at that and see if I can uh, get back on course. And uh, it's, it really has given me a powerful sense of purpose. Like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the top level is having a sense of purpose. So between mission and purpose, um, uh, it's transformed my life entirely. Wow, what a what an amazing thing to say and share. Um, and I don't really normally what I do to finish the show, and maybe we'll just let you do this really quick here. I, that's just generally a fantastic way to finish. But one more pearl to get out of you, since you've been on such a, a, a path for so long. You know, the show is all about helping people more meaningfully connect with the work that they do. So, what other pearls, and just like maybe a minute, might you say for our listeners to that regard? Well, thanks. I uh, I appreciate that. I think the first one is don't believe everything you think. Um, uh, that just because you think it doesn't make it real. Um, uh, examine what you think. If you think it's, uh, something means this, take a breath, slow it down, and ask yourself: Is that really the meaning? And because the me- the meaning I give to something will drive my behavior. And if if I'm not present in that loop then I will pick a spontaneous behavior, and so what happens is we have a closed-loop system and nobody's home. So be, be conscious of what you're thinking and be aware of it. Slow the moment down. What's the hurry? I think one of my biggest ones is the truth is in my body, not my head. My head is my ego. It's, uh, it's constantly chattering, but my body will speak truth. So if I want to know where, what the real answer to something is, I just listen to what my body is saying. Let me stop you there if I can, Bob, just to make sure I have enough time to get your website out there. Sorry to stop you, but I want to make sure that people, okay. know how to find, people know how to find you because you have been an amazing guest, Bob. Thank you so much for being here. If you want to find Bob and connect with him and learn more about what he's up to, please go to his website. It's www.r, the letter, h, the letter, j, the letter, for the number.com. So rhj4.com. So glad for this conversation this week. What a wonderful conversation. Thank you, Bob. And for you listeners, see you next week. Remember that work is at least one-third of our lives, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.